This is Chronic Victory Podcast number 12. I'm your host, David Manthe, where I say, take with you what you can use, leave the rest behind. So if there's something that you like that we talk about, that gives you an idea that you can implement into your life, do that. All the other stuff, forget it. You don't have time for it. I have a good friend of mine here. He is a new father, a great friend, and probably the only law enforcement contact that I regularly converse with these days. He's a warrior. He's been through a lot. He's a community role model, whether he likes it or not. Don't roll your eyes at me. He's a, he's a cop, and he's a SWAT negotiator now. Is that right? Yeah. Hell yeah. He is Air John Julie. Say hello, Air John. Hello. And we sound the same. We think we sound the same. Pretty similar. So this might sound like I'm speaking to myself, but I swear to God, he's like two feet away from my face. I'm here, and I am a different yeah. person than David. Yeah, we should say something at the same time, like "Ali Ali Auction Free" or something. You let's, didn't say let's, it. You're let's let's, blah, try, blah, blah, blah. Let's, okay, there let's we go. try something. Okay, there's Something a little more simple than that. <laughs> no, we're good. Uh, so yeah, we um, our our history. We we met. We didn't. You were just saying to me before we started that we didn't like each other. Yeah. No. What happened? You were talking to my girl in college classes. You make me sound like a schmuck. (laughs) So, dude, I sat next to your girlfriend. I know, I know. And I'm his wife, and he has a kid. So I sat next to his girlfriend, and I knew her from high school, and she showed me a picture of him, and I was like, he looks like an asshole. (laughs) Yep, and I had the same idea of you when when I met you. Yeah, when I met Air John, I was like, yeah, I wouldn't like me either. And then he's like, oh, wow, I like this guy already. Yeah, and then then you were my field trainer. Yeah. And we clicked. Yeah, we just clicked, and it was great. I feel lucky that we got to work together and do all that stuff. And being so young, you were like right out of, right high, out school. of high school. You were like a kid, and I was in my, what I believe is my prime, and I don't know. <laughs> With your air quotes. <laughs> yeah, I don't, that you can't see, because I don't know if you get like another prime. Uh, physically, I was in good shape, like we'd go to the gym and stuff, and mentally probably typical 22 year old guy who has a chip on his shoulder but that's okay we talked about that before and we know that that's gone so uh but yeah we worked together in two different departments he 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 moved on to be a police officer in the second place that we worked and then i moved in to be one of his dispatchers which was kind of like i don't know that was it was neat but i also was like scared for him all the time because it's like my little ducklings <laughs> going out into the world now even though I didn't teach him shit, I was like, Here, sure did. here's how we drive in a car. Like, he didn't, I, he already knew this stuff. What did I teach you? How to break stuff? Yeah, that door handle yeah, was we, pretty solid. Yeah, we broke a door, and that's like... An actual aluminum door handle. Yeah. Just I snapped clear off. <laughs> yeah. So, we worked together in two different departments, but another reason than just him being awesome and a good friend, and just a stand-up guy is... That he straight up defied something that happened to him, and he's now successful, and he fought through it, and he continues to fight, and he's just a happy dude. You're a happy guy. I try my best, man. Yeah. You're very positive. Like, I've only seen you angry two or three times, and even then it was like the intensity of a, I don't know, an old lady. Like, it wasn't very scary. Oh, man. When I get angry, it's it depends on what it is. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot now. All right, let's see it. Let's hear let's hear the tale. So, something something happened to you when you were younger, unexpected, and I'm going to assume, well, actually I think I already know. You told me you were pretty scared because 
just the whole procedure and everything that had to be done. So tell me about that and, and how it went down. For sure. Um, so growing up, I played soccer a lot, and soccer was huge in my life. And it was during a winter session playing indoor soccer where I would just have these episodes of my heart racing, shortness of breath, vision getting blurry, and I had no idea what was going on. And it happened like a couple times before I actually told my parents about it. And they were, they kind of just like brushed it off like, oh, you're, you're just working too hard, just slow it down. And then finally, after it happened another time, I just broke down. And I was like, no, like something's wrong. And so then they took me to the doctor and I had my first EKG and I had Wolf's White Parkinson's syndrome or something similar to that effect where I had an extra node. So every heart has a node, like an electrical node that beats your, that pushes the blood through. I had an extra one on the other side of my heart. So instead of the blood flowing throughout the entire heart, it would get stuck in a quarter of my heart. And so during the months of trying to figure out what it was and what it was doing, I was wearing heart monitors through soccer practices and stuff. And anytime I felt that episode, it was like an old school iPod. Oh, yeah, the halter monitor. Yeah, yeah. Is that the thing you wear on your chest? Yeah, yeah. To push so, the button? Yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like clips onto your waistband. I had to do that a couple years ago just to, we were checking something out, but. Yeah, so I was, I got to like play Iron soccer. Because it would like light up <laughs> right. right in your chest. <laughs> this one was a little different because I had to wear it, um, I think the one you're talking about is like you wear it for 24 hours, right? Yeah. Yeah, this one was a little different, where I would only put it on during exercise, because that's when it was happening to me. And I'd push the little button during the episode, and then later on I would use the landline, when we had those, uh, call this number, hit the send. All the millennials are like, what's a landline? (laughs) Right, (laughs) (laughs) Hit the send button, and it would essentially make my heart rhythm into noise, like a tune, and it would send it over the phone. And the highest my heartbeat was ever went was 286 beats a minute, where that's like like hummingbird fast. Wow. And so the doctors were actually shocked that like I never actually passed out. So like I would just like sit there, focus, and just do that autogenic breathing through it. And that was when I was like 15-ish, 16 maybe. And then I started taking meds for it, um, like a beta blocker. But it just drained my motivation. I was exhausted all the time. My grades were slipping. And finally I had enough. And I was like, screw this. What are my other options? Yeah. And luckily they had this procedure where they go up through my groin veins. So on either side mm-hmm. of my groin. And then down my neck. And they like burn the extra node through catheters. And so I had the surgery when I was 16. And uh, the first one was in March, and it lasted over eight hours. I woke up, and I asked if Stacy was still there. <laughs> Stacy, my wife. Yeah. <laughs> you can edit that out if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I might leave it now. All right. <laughs> and, yeah, I woke up super sweaty. Man. Just. Do you remember what the risk was for that, what they told you? Um... It was minimal risk, but I think it was around like you're you're asking like risk of something going really wrong. Yeah, or even success rate like percentage. I don't remember the percentage, but it was it was a pretty successful thing that they explained it to me, and then still the, pretty labor intensive though. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Eight hours is a long time to be under. Yeah, super long. Like, they, once they get to the spot, they inject, like, whatever medicine they need to inject to get your heart to kind of replicate that episode. And they just kept doing that, cauterizing, doing that, cauterizing. So that's why I was so sweaty. Because it was like I was running a marathon this entire time, but I was unconscious. Whoa. So I wake up just feeling shitty and just drenched in sweat, like have no idea where I am. And then fast forward three months, I started having episodes again playing soccer. So I was like, fuck, that was all <laughs> for nothing. Yeah. So then we decided to, I decided to do it, go through it again, which I didn't know at the time, but... I went to another state for another hospital that I thought was better. And I did more research on it this time around. And the second time, the insurance company gave us a bunch of crap. They were saying because it was out of state, they weren't going to cover it and all this. So I I went up. We were supposed to be at the hospital at 5 a.m. for like a 6.30 a.m. surgery or 7 a.m. surgery or something like that. And I probably didn't get into surgery until like one or two o'clock because they were fighting with the insurance company on whether or not they were going to cover it. So here I am, I have all this like extra six, seven hours to just sit and stew and think about it, like what could go wrong and everything. So then of course I started crying on the table, like before everything started, I was texting Stacy's mom actually. And she's like, oh, it's going to be fine, honey. It's going to be fine. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, dude, Why am I doing a, this again? That's a lot to put yourself through. It's hard to be young and do that. Yeah. And then you're just wondering, like, I'm, yeah, am I doing all this for nothing? And then I, I'm going to be the same as soon as I get back to practice. Right. And that's just the way life is going to be. And all that stuff you wanted to do is just gone. Yeah. It's like. That was such a big part of my life. And when you're, yeah, when you're doing something like a hobby or something fun or chasing something, when you're excited about it, you're not thinking about the plan B and the thing you're going to do when it, when you lose it. Because you don't expect to lose it. Nobody does. Right. So tell me, so the second, the second procedure worked? Yeah. So far. I don't know if that's real wood, but. That's fine. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Here, this looks real. Yeah, that's my house. That better be real. That's real. All right, good. So yeah, the uh, second surgery went fine that only lasted three and a half hours so clearly they were more efficient yeah and being successful and ever since then i've been solid and i just kept pushing through and is it you've never you never had any symptoms since then so anything weird what they tell you is your brain will still expect so like before an episode you know how you like you feel your heart flutter sometimes oh yeah so i would feel that and then that's when it would get in that rapid cycle mm-hmm. and an episode would occur. So before or after the surgery, they're like, your brain's going to feel that cycle and then you're going to expect that episode to occur. That should go away with time. Every once in a while, I'll still like feel like a flutter, but nothing happens because that extra passageway is no longer there. <laughs> so then it works properly, which is great. And now my resting heart rate is like... You can see, like, 53. Wow, you're yeah. a healthy guy. I don't know about that, but... 53? Yeah. What, are you running marathons without me knowing? <laughs> right. This is bullshit. I know. It's nuts. <laughs> I'm over but... here at, like, a 120. <laughs> nah, I don't know. I don't know. Wow, so yeah. how did you... Okay, how... some of this I knew, some of this I actually didn't know, but how did you, when you're that young, did you just have good support, or how did you actually get yourself mentally through that? 
I think it was good support from family and friends. But then also, I've always been like, I've always had that mindset where if I want to do something or get through something, I'll do whatever it takes to get to that point. That's important. A lot of people don't. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have a lot of pain. You didn't have a lot of symptoms after that. No. um, But were were you held back after that from anything? Was there things that you couldn't do well, or people didn't let you do because they were worried about it? Well, that entire process probably set me back like a year, year and a half of like my physical aspect. So when I returned to soccer, I wasn't as fast. I wasn't as like my endurance wasn't as great. So that my senior year kind of suffered because of that. But as far as the whole first year after that, I would get checkups. I'd have echoes done and after probably two or three years of doing that on the every six months or on the yearly i got cleared 100 percent, so i never had to go back which is awesome nice well I, there is one thing that comes to mind and that's the taser training yeah that was like a big deal back when you were getting certified i remember yeah because like you can't shock this dude with a heart defect right and that was kind of around the time where like wasn't it um they were debating whether or not you could even carry one or there was some concern whether or not you could pass, get through the academy at some point or before you were in the academy. So I had that thought where I was like, because I knew you had to get sprayed with OC spray. You had to get tased yeah. to essentially carry the taser. But luckily I could pass on the taser. The first department that I was at, the second department, I told them about everything that I went through. And so I just had one in each leg. Oh, okay. And so it never went up past like my hip area it's like a drive stun it was like the alligator clips oh, okay they clip them to your pant legs and have you walk and then once that connection is made your legs just seize up and <laughs> it feels like literally feels Damn. like you're getting stabbed in the calves like nineteen thousand times a second and you, you could lose all control yeah I'm, I'm glad i didn't do that yeah it's not pleasant <sighs> all right so how do you deal with I mean, you deal with shit. You're a cop. It's part of the work. We've worked together. Um, I don't think I don't think you and I had a whole ton of like high stress incidents or, or anything. Remember that big fight for that dance? Oh yeah, like that was pretty intense because there was... wasn't many of us, but there was like three hundred of them. Yeah, that was intense. <laughs> and I... I hear you yelling on the radio, so that was I yeah, like that got me worked up. I drove really really fast to get to that. Yeah, that was a... and that was good though. It was. A shit show yeah like things like that but but that that's more of like the stuff that that's i wouldn't say it's easier to deal with in the moment but afterwards it's not gonna like remain it's more of like a teachable incident like you kind of know how you responded and what you're gonna do next time and how you're gonna prepare like oh, yeah. as, a, as a team but what about the tough calls i just recorded podcast number 10 yesterday and that's about ptsd and suffering and now you're here and you you told me something when we just sat down like wow it's kind of like good timing for that because there's something that kind of came to your mind and just the whole the whole idea of mental fortitude how does that work for you how do you how does somebody like you in your position as a SWAT negotiator out on the road on patrol stay hard and keep working at a and I mean operating at an effective level and not let it or does it eat out like you remember Dawn Mm-hmm. Like I, I was just talking about her yesterday, and she's the best. Yeah, she's awesome. And I asked her, "You should get her on this show." I, I plan to. Actually. You should. I plan to. I'm serious. Yeah, and more especially about mental side of things. 
but I, I asked her straight up and honest, like, how do you not have PTSD from all this this shit that you've been through? And she just kind of like smiled at me. She's like, who says I don't? I'm like, okay, yeah. And I'm like, dude, you're you're the most happy person I've ever seen. She's just like always in a good mood and, and joking around and just happy and loving life. I want to be more like that and not just carry this stuff. I mean, you could still carry it around, but it doesn't it doesn't affect what you're doing. So give me some insight. Or some what, people hide it better than others. That's true. Yeah, like I, I didn't, I, like I was talking about, I don't, I didn't want to be embarrassed. I felt ashamed and like weak. Nobody wants to be like, hey, I have problems and I haven't been to war and I no. haven't killed anybody and I've just been here in the city. Right. Just been here in America and I have problems, like I have PTSD and the people are like, oh, give me a fucking break. I didn't want to be that guy. I felt felt guilty, like I haven't done really, uh, I mean, I've done things, but nothing, I mean, you could always compare it to something worse, and I haven't done those worse things. You can, but everyone's different, and yeah. it affects everyone differently. And trauma's I, trauma. It is, but, and PTSD, I think, has different levels. Each person carries with them something that stays in their mind, you know? Yeah. And it affects everyone differently. But it's, it's recognizing that is a huge part of it. And I guess using that when you make future decisions. That's how I get past it. So I do a lot of the crisis rehearsal that we were trained in, you know. So I, I do what if or when if. When this happens, I'm going to do this. Or when this happens, I'm going to do this. And it, that I do that constantly. On my off time, on my work time, I do it constantly. Have you? Now and I think that helps me. When I do encounter something, it's kind of like I've already created that pathway in my brain that, hey, I thought about this before, so I'm that much quicker to make a decision. Yeah, like, let's put it into practice. Yeah. Have you had to put that into practice yet? You're still kind of newer to that new role, right? I mean, it's, well, it's been about a year. Which new role? The SWAT negotiator? Yeah, it's been about a year. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say so. A lot of it, I mean... I've only been a, a part of a handful of actual, like, live negotiations. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to expect what these people in crisis are going to do or say. But at least you can think about it. And if for some reason they go down that path that you were thinking about, you already have kind of that knowledge base of what you want to do or what yeah. you want to say. That's tough. That's that's practicing, rehearsing for that thing that doesn't happen every day. Right. <laughs> yeah. It can happen a lot in one month. It can happen zero times in one month. Yeah. So you just never know. What are some tough calls that, I mean, you don't have to tell me a whole bunch if you don't want, but or, or something where it was a high high stakes, high stress, and didn't sit well with you, and how, how did you deal with that afterwards? Or are you still dealing with it? Yeah. So when we're talking high stress, high risk, clear as day, this call, I still think about it because... I think of the what ifs and whether or not that's healthy. I don't know. But, uh, one night it was probably around midnight or so get called for a domestic with someone else that, you know, yeah. Neighbor calls it in male, female arguing. Boom. Done. Basic. Right. I get in, we get into the building. We're hearing screaming and crying. I was like, Oh shit. Probably hurry up a little bit. Turn the corner. And I see this woman standing there. With just a shirt on, no pants, no underwear, no shoes, holding the door, the apartment door, and you can see someone's like on the inside trying to open it, and she's trying to keep it shut, and she's crying and screaming, and she looks over at me, 
and there's just blood running from her face down to her t-shirt. She looks terrified. So I turned to my partner, like gave him the look like, holy shit, get over here. And because yeah, he was like down the hall, right? He was down the hall at the, like putting a pen in the door. So in case we needed backup, they could get in. And I'm trying to put my gloves on. I'm telling her to come by us. She doesn't speak any English. So she didn't really know what we were saying, but she understood the arm wave. So she came up behind us. My partner came running up. The apartment door swings open. And here stands this five foot two, completely naked Mexican man. Just completely naked, not even socks on. Arms down by his sides. And he has that thousand yard stare at her. Doesn't acknowledge me, doesn't acknowledge my partner, just staring her down. And we're screaming at him to get back, get back, nothing. Doesn't even phase him. He just keeps walking at a slow, steady pace towards her as I'm backing up. And is there something in his hand too? Yeah. So in his right hand, which was closest to the wall away from my partner. So my partner was closer to him than I was. My partner and I were staggered. And so it was, we kind of like made a triangle with our three bodies, me, my partner, and the suspect. Tactical L. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Nice. And so I'm looking at his hand, what's in his hand, and I like look over, and it's like a six-inch steak knife in his hand that he's holding down by his thigh. Not good. And just beelining it to her. And so I draw my gun, and I was like, drop the knife, drop the knife, drop the knife. Like, I screamed it three times. And I was like, knife, 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 to my partner. He didn't see it because the knife was on the other side of the suspect's body. So he didn't see it at all. And so I'm drawn down on him and I made the decision, like, if that knife comes up six inches, I have to shoot this guy. Yeah. Because my partner was within arm's distance from him. And we all know the reactionary gap is much further than an arm's length away. And luckily... As I was yelling, knife, 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 my partner, like, kind of grabs a guy by the chest, neck area, and, like, shoves him back into the doorway. And then I'm yelling to my partner, tase his ass, tase his ass, because I didn't know if he still had the knife. And so my partner had him at taser point in the doorway as the guy's trying to shut the door on my partner. And my partner saw that his hands were free, the knife was on the ground. And so he shoves the door back open, pulls him out we cuff him i go to clear the apartment as suspect and my partner are outside victim still outside crying i get into the threshold of the door and i see two little kids and i was like fuck there's kids and he goes i know i told you it's like i didn't hear you that auditory exclusion right yeah but i just kept moving well, you're wondering if you have to kill this guy right yeah so and I don't, for those of you that don't know, a knife will go through a ballistic vest like butter. It's meant for bullets, not not sharp objects like that. Yeah. So, and that that was a. I mean, I don't. Do you know when he dropped the knife? Like that's a dangerous move to grab somebody. I mean. Yeah. So my, at that time, taser or not, you know. At that time, my partner still didn't see the knife because he had it away from him, right? And so all this, like in my brain, it it was like step by step by step by step. But in reality, it was probably five seconds that he came out the door and he was pushed back into the door, 
if that. So it really slowed down in my brain. So I end up having the kids come by me. I clear the apartment. Like it's it's a disheveled apartment. There's no electricity. They're using a power strip with a, an extension cord from the neighbor's apartment for power. It's just a mess. And so it was a really violent domestic. And the guy straight up told the female that he was going to kill her. So as he said he was going to kill her before the cops came. So as he, after he beat her and he walked to the kitchen to grab the knife, that's when she ran out and was holding the door shut so he couldn't get her. So talk about impeccable timing. So that, just because, not nothing that I did right or wrong in that scenario, but what could have happened to my partner is what replaced in my head. And that was over a year ago. Mm. Yeah, that's a close one. Yeah, super close. Closest the, I've ever the, been in the hope. Hopefully the closest I'll ever be. I bet the kids were just scared shitless. Yeah, three and five-year-old. Just horrific. That's awful. Anybody that puts innocence of a child in that position or takes that away, it's like the worst person in, in the world. It's not even a person. It's a fucking monster. Yeah, yeah. he's a piece of shit. Yeah, agreed. Now, how do you how do you work through that? Luckily, where I work, there's a good support system. So we have peer support officers. So after a perfect, after a big call like that, they actually reach out to you, see how you're doing, like initially get like a quick thing if you want to talk about it. But then once you have a couple sleep cycles, they'll schedule a debrief with like an actual counselor who has nothing to do with the department, who tells the department nothing. And all the involved officers sit down with her or him and just talk about it. And if you need any additional assistance after that, it's totally free. Yeah. Did your partner realize how close he was to being... After the fact, yeah. That sit well with him? No, not at all. And it's amazing. Like You hear about stories about people doing really amazing things in times of crisis, right? Like mom, like moms lifting cars up off their kid or something similar like that, right? Yeah. Well, they don't really talk about the things that you don't remember as much. So, like, the auditory exclusion, when my partner told me there were kids in the apartment, never remembered that, never heard it. As the woman was running towards me and that apartment door opened up and I saw the naked man with the knife, I had gloves in my hands because she was bloody, so I didn't want my hands getting bloody. I dropped the gloves and pulled my gun because that's what my training tells me to do. Mm Mm-hmm. I have zero recollection of dropping my gloves. Damn. Yeah. So until after everything, I saw my gloves just sitting in the hallway. I think, do you think there's a correlation there between intense pain? Like to, in, in times I've been in, in really intense pain and somebody like my wife is talking to me or, and there's all that, I call it the noise, just all that noise of the pain in your mm-hmm. brain. And that's all you're feeling that I miss things, I forget things, I don't remember things that she's saying or other people are telling me. You think that's a like similar? I think it is. I mean, we go back to that like primal instinct that we have, and you just and that's how all the brain... unnecessary things shut down, so you can focus on how to survive right. at that time. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes your auditory is not as important to survive in those stressful situations. Yeah, like that's how the brain interprets and handles it because that's the only way it knows how to. Yeah. Like instinctually. Yep. Just shuts the shit down that it's like, hey, you can take a pause right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
Not to be selfish, but uh, let's talk about the, as I wrote down here, the rise and fall of me. Okay, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Because I felt like you were younger than me when we started working together. I felt kind of responsible for you. And you were like the most successful person that went to, like, moved on from where we were and then moved on again because you just kept chasing what you wanted to do and you didn't settle and you didn't you didn't take no for an answer. And weren't you even rejected once or twice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once. For yeah. your for your current job. And yep. then you just kept going until you got it and then you got it and then you get promoted. And pretty soon you'll probably be chief or something. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Nah, don't do that. Nah, you end up resigning happen. like right away because of politics. Yeah, I'm not a political dude. I tell it how it is and... People yeah. don't like that. Yeah, people don't like the truth. They like to be safe in That's their little true. bubbles and their imaginary safe space, which I'm not a fan of. I agree. Yeah. People need to just... I'd always ask that. Um, like when I was on campus on patrol and you'd see the signs everywhere, like this is a safe space only. <laughs> and I'm like, hey... Hey, uh, ma'am, can you tell me where the unsafe space is? Because that's where I need to go. I feel like there might be trouble. If it's not safe, I should that's be true. there, right? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Nobody can tell me. It just blows my mind. That's I don't know. Awesome. I could still, I, to this day, I don't know where the unsafe space is because it seems to me like everywhere can be unsafe. But Agreed. Anyway, tangent. But, <laughs> I, yeah, you've seen, I mean, we used to work out together. Yeah, man. And then things started getting weird. And I remember the I remember the day things got weird was uh, we were working together on a Saturday and I had this weird pain in my ribs and it was just like oh okay maybe I pulled something mm-hmm. and then it just became something else it became like full chest pain heart attack feeling like what you think is a heart attack the as I always call it the sense of impending doom. <laughs> That's what I tell the doctors. Like, what does it feel like? Uh, sense of impending doom. That's how it feels I like. Bet like that gets their attention. Yeah, they're like, oh, that's fucking intense. And I'm like, yes, it is, because you. Yeah. I mean, I I'm rational about it. Like, I I know I'm not dying, but my body feels like it's dying, like it's freaking out. And then, yeah, you've, you've seen me go through all this stuff and kind of suffer. First of all, physically throughout the years at the first apartment we were in. Then we were, when we were separated, just mentally. Like, I don't I don't see this. I don't see my bro here as much as I used to. Definitely not. And we only live like 10 minutes away. Agreed. But as fathers and, I mean, we take care of our family. But as soon as I see this guy, we pick right up. But he's been there. He's seen all the crap that I've gone through. But as an outsider and somebody that's kind of gone through it yourself with your heart and all that back in the past, what what do you see? And you can tell me if I'm like if you see bad things or i mean just be honest mm-hmm. like what do you see about or even not even only me but somebody else out there that you know and is suffering and kind of just lost everything and i'm not saying i lost everything i feel better now than i did when i was working in that shit environment at the unfortunate department that i had to be at not not air john's department a different department yeah completely but, uh, separate yeah give me give me some insight what, what you see or if you know somebody and then what you do about that i mean I always talk about ownership, right? Like mm-hmm. it's this is my issue. I don't expect somebody to come and fix this issue for me. But you're you're like one of those dudes who I would say listens and takes action. You don't just listen and then just kind of take it home, forget about it. You listen and then you take an action. You're like, all right, let's hang out, or let's get together and do something, or let's go to Chick Fil A because that place is fucking awesome. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I try my best, man. Yeah, and 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 that and that's the that's the like active stuff or you'll at least like ask questions or actually you know you're invested in it and you don't even have to be 
you're just a nice mm-hmm. guy. But like, what what do you see? What do you notice? And what like what have you learned? I guess from all this shit. I know that's like ten questions it's, in one. Yeah, just tell yeah, me yeah. whatever comes to mind. I don't know. I don't know what I've learned from it. But okay, let, let's let's back up and when you first started having the thing and when we first worked together, that was that was an important time in your life, right? Yeah, you were getting married. Yep, buying a house, two ginormous things, right? And so initially, I'm like, oh man. David's taking on too much too soon. Like, Stress, right? Yeah. It's all in his like, mind. Yeah, like it's it's a stressful thing. He's got to calm down. I, I thought so too for a long time. Right? Like that's that's what we know. That's what we're comfortable with, right? Yeah. So that's what we revert back to. Good point. But then when it kept escalating and going and going and going, I was like, shit, that's, it's not just stress. Like there's something going on. So then when, and we, we did lose touch for a little while. Yeah. And I think that, that may have, correct me if I'm wrong, but that may have been the time where, like, it started affecting you mentally. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just, shut people out, yeah. or at least I used to, and now I just don't care. Like, I, I don't have time for humiliation or embarrassment, and if people don't want to hear what I have to say, they can go and just find somebody else. Exactly. And, and I, think, I know you'll stay. <laughs> and I think more people need that. Yeah. Because, like we were saying earlier, people are becoming way too soft. Yep. Like, you need to take what you want, leave what you don't want, just like you're saying, right? Yep. But throughout the years, we've continued to stay in contact. And, and yeah, there's periods in time where we don't talk uh, as and that's, much. That's normal. But it's, that's life. It's life. Life yeah. is busy, right? You're a dad. I'm a new dad. It's awesome. Congrats, by the way. Thanks. It's awesome. Um, but, yeah, life is busy. But I, I feel like I'm kind of seeing you come full circle. And you're becoming, you're not the same as when I first met you. But it's. I hope not. No, no, you're it's not. Kind of a little shit. <laughs> no, you're. <laughs> you're a good trainer. You're a good role model back then. Appreciate it. But. Oh. I'm seeing. No, no, not not a bad butt. Not a bad butt. Not a bad butt. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is the good parts about Manthe that I really enjoyed back then. I'm starting to see shine through again, which is awesome. Coupled with with your attitude about not giving a shit about what people think and doing your thing. I think that's important. And even this podcast, I think, is healthy. So I, that's that's my two cents. Cool, man. Thanks. If that makes sense. I'm going to rename this episode to uh, David's <laughs> Motivation Boost. Or yes! <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so, yep. yeah, if you're female, please subscribe. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, we is, don't discriminate here. Um, yeah, only my old employer does that. That's very They're true. Pretty well versed in that. Yep. So experts. Cool, man. Well, I want you to stay safe out there. I think a lot Thank of people you, listening do too, and appreciate you being here and giving your insight. And I know you have to go and be with your daughter, so we'll cut it here. But right. thanks for coming on, and you're welcome here anytime. And if there, if there's something that you think of, or you know somebody that could use this, and you want them to be on here. Let me know, and we'll. I will. We'll make it happen. Let's do it. Because uh, I'm fucking paying for it, so you might, <laughs> might, might as well use it. Yeah. Whoever's uh, whoever's listening, support my man Manthe. He's he's doing this, and it's good stuff. So keep on listening. And I promise he's not me. He's a different person. Yeah, we are two different people. If you want, we can take a selfie and post it to whatever. Yeah. What then else I'm, you got on the docket here? That's it, dude. That's it. Yeah, I just I wanted to hear it because a lot of that stuff I honestly didn't know if like how I mean I always thought you were just like a fucking wizard like you just use some sort of magic that you're not telling me about 
kind of, kind of. Okay, man. back when I was working and I had the nickname of Praying Mantis, mm-hmm. and it was like, how does he find all this shit? And, and I would always just play it up like I'm just good at what I do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I just got lucky or unlucky. I didn't, right. I didn't have any special talent, but to me, it's like Air John's just like. You could he could crash his car and somebody pisses in his Cheerios and he's like ah that sucks and then he's like I'm gonna go do something fun you know I how up, did you get like that you know let me tell you tell me so for those of you who don't know me I'm Turkish and Albanian Albanians if you ever seen Taken they're not they they got a mafia but they're not like kidnappers <laughs> all right so let's just clear the air there but <laughs> Albanians have tempers right when I was a kid. I would get so pissed at things, like so pissed that it's like that primal instinct again where I would just almost lose like what I'm actually just seeing doing. red. Yes. Yeah. Just just livid, right? And after you know, I don't even know when it changed, but I like somehow got a hold of that anger and just switched it to like my mindset, just switching it to is it going to matter in five minutes, five years? No. And life is way too short to worry about the little shit. You remember a certain professor we had? He had a good uh, he had, he had a good analogy, I guess. Life's like a windshield, right? Yeah. You look through all the bullshit to look where you're going. Yeah. I, I like that. That's so, good. Yeah. You look past all the bug guts and the bird shit and whatever else is on your windshield <laughs> parking tickets <laughs> right look past that shit <laughs> see where you're going and keep moving forward i like it so you just i mean you just decided hey i don't want to i don't feel like this anymore yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking not only defy the odds against what's happening in my heart i'm gonna defy my race like yeah. i'm gonna defy my, my culture, culture. My yeah. culture yeah and a lot of it is the culture that you are brought up into like i saw where my parents were at in life i saw where my brother my two older brothers were going i don't want to go where my brothers are going and so luckily i had good mentors along the way that you meet people you talk about stuff you never know who's gonna be able to help with whatever you're trying to get to so and hopefully hopefully this podcast can do something like that for you guys yeah for sure Look at awesome that. Dude. Sweet spot, baby. Yeah, we're almost there, so I'm going to cut it. <laughs> Donezo. Thank you for being here, man. You bet. Thank Take you, care. man. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you heard something that inspired you and that you continue to tune in. Feel free to reach out to me on social media or by email. Also, if you're in a position to donate, I have a Patreon account set up to support this podcast and the community behind it. Whatever you're going through and whatever your situation is, stay in the fight.